0: Uh, so, uh, as everything Sarah talked about, you know, with uh, the women's study, the men's study, we also want to do something else for all of you if you are a parent. And we understand how difficult it is sometimes to get a night together out. And so on March 11th, it's a Saturday night, we are going to watch your kids for you for free. You got to sign up. You got to sign up for it. But we're, we're going to go do that. Um, Sarah said, I did really good last week talking about like the Thailand scholarships. She goes, everybody, all the scholarships are gone. It's great, so you should talk about this. So what we need, though, are some babysitters. okay? Because not if you're like a weirdo, but you know if you're like not a weirdo, we would love to have you come and help babysit th- these kids. We'll, we'll have things for you to do so you're not just sitting out there not knowing what you're supposed to do. As Jim Bray, this guy in last service, he's like, I'm retired. I need some things to do. And I'm like, you can watch kids. It's going to be amazing. And he's like, no so but but if you would like to help out we we would love for you to help us watch some kids um i i now understand how expensive it is for uh, people who have to hire a babysitter Uh, i i'm not going to talk about my puppy every week but i hired a puppy sitter a couple weeks ago because we had to go somewhere and she's so young she's going to tear everything apart and it's expensive She's a babysitter, and I said, I'll pay you what what you normally charge other people. Holy cow. (laughs) Holy cow. So we're going to watch kids for free. You can sign up uh, at the Welcome Center. You can sign up online. If you would really like to help us to watch the kids, let Sarah know at the Welcome Center. We totally appreciate that. So if you're new to Element Welcome, there are Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on the communion tables throughout the room. They look like this. And on the inside, you're going to get a recap of what we talk about, as well as some questions to talk to your friends or your family, your gospel community about. On the back side, you get the verses we're going through and then a place to take some notes. If you have a smart device, you can download an app. It is called Uversion. You click on More and then Events in Uversion. We will come up by GPS in your smart device, and you will get sermon notes, verses, questions, announcements, all that goes with today's message. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors at Element. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's word? And this is Galatians chapter 2, verse 11, and it says this, But when Cephas, and that's Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Sounds like fighting words, I know. Let's pray, Uh, Father. This morning we ask that you would teach us what it means to be a people who are concerned about what the gospel truly is, and that we would want to speak for that truth in the world around us, and not just speak about it, but live for it in ways that you are lifted up and you are glorified. And so today we ask that you would teach us as we walk through the scriptures, and something that kind of happens that kind that's kind of hard uh, in the words today that we would take that to heart and begin to live out in ways that glorify you because you are the one who saved us. Amen. Have a seat. So we're going through this New Testament book called Galatians. This is week seven. And if you have an Element Bible, that's on page 631. And someone asked me about this last week. They said, you know, you say an Element Bible. You haven't explained that in a really long time. When I say an Element Bible, I don't mean that we came up with our own Bible. We're not like a cult. Here's your tinfoil hat and your tennis shoes and drink the Kool-Aid as you walk out the door. When, when I say an Element Bible, that's the Bible in the seat back in front of you. When we first started Element, we ordered like 2,000 uh, Crossway ESV English Standard Version Bibles, and what they did they were very nice about it—is they put an Element cover on it for us because we ordered so many. And so that's the Bible; it's called the English Standard Version that we use at Element. As a matter of fact, if you ever get thrown in jail into the Huasca and you ask for a Bible, uh, the local jails actually have Element Bibles, and you'll probably get one there. But anyway, it's not like Element's own version of the Bible; it is—it is just the Bible that we use, English Standard Version. There you go. All right, so if you're going to use... <laughs> The Bible in the seat back in front of you, page 631. Uh, I think Galatians is a really good book for all of us. Because many times in Galatians, you walk through different struggles you don't see on the surface. And you get a little bit deeper and you go, oh that's that's me too as time goes on we have this problem and we tend to think that we are so much smarter than anybody who has lived in any other age before us one writer calls it the tyranny of the modern that we think we are just smarter than everybody else and today you're going to see something happen to a guy named Peter and what it's going to show is related to ourselves is that really we just learn new ways to be dumb and Peter's gonna have that happen to him Peter is a guy who you look at the scriptures and you think this guy finally started to figure some of these things out. And then all of a sudden, sin just creeps right back into his life, and he falls back into some old patterns of living. And so today in Galatians, we're going to deal with issues of law and grace, hypocrisy, and how easy it is to be swayed by the law. Uh, I was reading uh, this thing that Matt Chandler wrote a little bit ago. Uh, Matt Chandler is a pastor of a church in Texas, kind of a large church, and he talked about how he got a seizure, and he was rushed to the hospital and given an MRI, and they found a mass on his right frontal lobe. He had brain brain. brain cancer and this is what he says when I got out of that tube it wasn't over the MRI simply showed I had a problem but the MRI was powerless to actually solve what it identified the problem as being And so this is the difference between hearing what the good news, what the gospel is, and then versus living in it. It's a picture of the difference between the law and what Christ has done to rescue and save us by his death and resurrection. So when we talk about the law in the Old Testament, the law really is, it's a diagnostic. It shows us what's wrong with us. It's like an MRI. The law is holy and it's good. Uh, It's brought about by God's divine goodness. And it's great when it does its job. But if you try and get the law to do a job it was never meant to do, like fix your sin problem, you're going to put a burden on the law and yourself that really they can't bear. And a lot of Christians today start to do this. We are called to walk in freedom, and yet we start to focus on and look at the diagnostic. Matt Chandler says this, Instead of running to and clinging to what heals us, we continually run back to and cling to the diagnostic. What does the diagnostic tell us? It tells us we're sick. We've run from God. We're broken. We prefer almost everything in the world to God himself. And we get beaten down because we focus on that law rather than the healing, redeeming work of Christ in our lives. What are we told? Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the result of the gospel. This is why we must focus on the gospel. The diagnostic says you're sick. Jesus says, I can heal you. So today, you're going to see Paul confront Peter because Peter starts to focus on the diagnostic. He starts to look at that. And when he does, he starts to focus on his own actions, his own cleanness, rather than what God has actually done in his life. Our joy in our lives will flourish when we run to the healer and not the diagnostic. If we focus only on the diagnostic, we're going to focus on our work. How, how often do I go to church? How nice am I to people? How well do I do these things over here? Not that there's anything wrong with doing the right thing, but if we only focus on doing the right thing, it's going to breed a self-righteousness in us, and we'll start to compare ourselves to one another. And so what we want to do is focus on the healing work of Christ and what we call the gospel and not simply that diagnostic. So when you get to Galatians chapter 2, some people say what Peter does here borders on racism. I, I don't necessarily think that's true. I think Peter just falls into some old ways of thinking, and I'll explain what that looks like. But this is really one of the most awkward moments in the history, I think, of the Christian church, when Paul goes after Peter publicly in a room, and everybody's like, La, 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 la. Erica, I don't know what to do with that. Even if someone's yelling at somebody else. It's, it's just not comfortable. But why Paul does it is he is fighting for the truth of what the gospel actually is and what it brings about. And Peter starts to lead some people astray. So what has happened so far is that at the end of Galatians 1, beginning of chapter uh, Galatians 2, is Paul has been recounting how he went to Jerusalem and spoke to the leaders there. And they gave him what was called the right hand of fellowship. They partnered with Paul. Paul is going to go spread the gospel to the Gentiles. They, uh, people in Jerusalem are going to go to the Jews and this is this coming together and Paul is now moving on in his story to the people in Galatians so they would understand what grace actually is. Galatians chapter 2 verse 11 says this, But when Cephas, again that's Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. So, a little history here. Antioch in the ancient world was like a little Rome. Caesar, The Caesars, they loved Antioch, they poured a lot of money into Antioch, and so it made it really a big metropolitan area. It had a large arena for games, one of the largest libraries in the world. And from an ancient perspective, Antioch was viewed so highly that if you had a vacation bucket list, it would be on it. You wanted to go there. There was a ton of diversity in the city, and historians, Christian and non, agree that in the church at this time in Antioch, it was probably split 50% Gentiles, 50% Jews, and they were getting along together, doing life together. They, They all loved their city, and they loved one another. Now, how this is written in the Greek manuscript is it looks like what is happening is Paul is getting ready to go off onto one of his missionary journeys, maybe to the area of Galatia itself. So he's getting ready to go, and as he's leaving, you see the Jews and the Gentiles, they are eating at these tables together. They are fellowshipping with one another. They see themselves on a level footing before Christ, and it's beautiful. But when Paul returns, they've segregated themselves. And you have Jews over here and Gentiles over here and they're not eating together. They're not doing life together anymore. And Paul sees Peter right in the middle of it. And maybe you think, oh, it's not a big deal if Peter doesn't eat with these Gentiles and only eats with the Jews. But you have to understand why this is an issue. In that culture, eating at a table together was a central component of fellowship, of coming together. Now, in our culture, we don't usually set aside large amounts of times around a meal unless it's a holiday like Thanksgiving or Christmas or Easter or something like that. Our lives evolved around speed and price. Can I order it through a clown head made by a high school kid and they stuck it in a microwave and give it to me for two bucks. Thank you for my taco. I appreciate it, right? But that's not this culture. This culture builds relationships of depth and love around a table. Dinner is slow. It's methodic. It's thought out. Sitting and eating with someone wasn't just hanging out. It carried serious cultural implications, social implications that really don't exist in our culture today. If you read the Gospel accounts, you'll see multiple times where Jesus is taken to tasks for who He eats with. I'll give you one. Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2 says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to Him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them and eats with them, that's that central component of the phrase. Now, this doesn't make sense because in our churches today, we don't tend to get upset over who is eating with who, unless you wanted to be invited and you weren't, and you have FOMO, right? But no one ever sees me with the elders at Rancho Nopomo having lunch and saying, oh, I can't believe you're eating with them. I'm out of this church. Well, one guy, and it's a long story, but whatever happened okay but anyway uh, i could have lunch with your worst enemy and you'd be like thank god i don't have to have lunch with that guy right and you'd be thinking that i'm talking to them and trying to make them agree with you and every weird thing that you think and there's really no cultural equivalent that we could even think about in this here the table was fellowship and relationship earlier peter is willing to sit with these gentiles he's willing to eat with them as if they were his peers and his equals meaning he probably ate a non-kosher diet He is walking in the freedom that he had and not the structures of his dietary historical law and tell these men from James come. And I'll explain that in just a second. But Peter is swayed by these men. He's swayed by what they think. And so he pulls back from table fellowship with these Gentiles. And it's like he's saying, I'm supposed to be clean. I'm a Jew. I'm not supposed to be unclean. And you people, you people, who are you calling you people? You people, you people are unclean. I can't eat with you. And so he separates himself from them. And Paul sees this. But you have to understand, Peter knows better because Peter has preached against that before. He knows that cleanness comes from what Christ did in the good news of the gospel. He's being swayed in his heart on how he views others. And it comes out to who he's willing to eat with at this table. Now, to put your mind at ease, because we went through the book of James last year, these men probably weren't actually, quote unquote, from James. I know it says, for before certain men came from James, this is what they're claiming to be. In this day and age, you can't call James on the phone and go, this seems fishy. Are these guys from you? They don't have cell phones, email, don't have cars, so you can't get back and forth really quick. And so there's no timely manner to figure out, are these guys really from James? Now, we know they're not actually from James because Paul will later go to Jerusalem and have a Another talk with James about what people like this are doing. In Acts chapter 15, he goes to James and the leaders in the church in Jerusalem and says, you got people out there claiming your name, driving grace into the ground, and we need to be able to do something about it. And so the leaders, James included, in Jerusalem write this letter. Uh, I'll give you one part of it. Acts 15 verse 24, James says, since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words and settled in your minds, although we gave them no instructions. See, James says, they're not really from me. They're claiming my name. They may even think they're from James. They may think, oh, James would agree with this. But James clearly says, I don't agree with that. But again, here's another thing. Peter should have known better just as we should when we understand the gospel. And I want to show you why, because it's really important to this whole conversation, and I think to our lives. So if you have a Bible from the seat back in front of you, open to Acts chapter 10, that's on page 597, if you're using one of those Bibles. And in Acts 10, God's going to do this work in Peter's life that should have kept his eyes where they needed to be, which was on Jesus, not looking for the approval of men from James. See, the problem that these men from James, they see themselves as the most devout and the most religious. They're the ones who want to hold everybody else accountable, to follow the diagnostic of the law. And people start to take them at their word, and that's a problem. Now I'm not saying that being devout is a problem at all, what I'm saying is that many times people who see themselves as the most devout, they are the ones who end up giving Christianity a bad name. The Jewish Christians wanted to keep the law because for them, that was purity before God. God. I need to separate myself from these people, I have to stay pure. For centuries, Jews separated themselves from other cultures around them, because it's like God wants us to love those people, but I don't want to be unclean, and so I'm not going to be around them, and it just led to all this weird stuff. Now, it'd it'd be like your mom when you're a kid growing up, and she gives you brand new clothes, and says, don't go out there and play in the mud, because your clothes are clean. Well, that's how the Jews saw themselves. God has cleaned me up, I can't be around those unclean people over there. It's kind of like today, you have monks who want to go live these quiet lives in monasteries because they want to grow closer to God, but they separate themselves from the people God has called us to minister to the most, namely everyone in the world. And in churches today, we kind of have this problem. It's not the same thing, but it's a little bit... What we will do today in a lot of churches is churches start to preach everything that they are against. They start throwing out the diagnostic. Um, we're against abortion and murder and homosexuality and drunkenness and racism and bigotry. Da, da, da. And it's a way to try and bring morality, but they are not engaging the world with the gospel. People aren't talking about what we are for. We are for God rescuing and saving every single one of us. And we can have discussions around morality but we must talk about what we are for we talk about what God has done not just what we're against and walk away 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. God doesn't just come up and point out our sins and failures and then walk away and say, here's the diagnostic, you're done. He sends Jesus in our place to take our sin upon Himself and give us His righteousness, takes our death, gives us His life, so we can live lives and restore to God. Again, we can be redeemed. See, it's not that God can't handle being around sin. Sin can't be in God's presence. And so God has to do something about it, which He does. In Jesus. Now, as I said, Peter knows this intimately. And this is long, but in Acts chapter 10, God is going to show Peter a vision. He is going to send Peter on a journey that Peter did not even see, think, see coming, didn't think it was even possible. And all through the book of Acts, God is doing this. He is showing His people that the church is bigger than Jews. It's bigger than Jerusalem. He has shown them that women and the lame and eunuchs and Greeks and even murderers like the Apostle Paul can all have their lives redeemed by what Jesus has done. And so God's going to send Peter to a guy named Cornelius because Cornelius needs some help. So Acts chapter 10, starting in verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. So Rome at this time rules the known world. Rome is bloodthirsty, they are hated in the Middle East because they're so brutal, and yet the first Roman you meet in the book of Acts, because it's trying to tell us a story of what God's doing in the world, he is a solid, blue-collar, down-to-earth man who actually came to love the God of the country he was stationed in, and so he wins the respect, not just of Rome, but of his soldiers and the Jewish community around him. Verse 3, about the ninth hour of the day he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror. Now this is interesting today, right? Because a lot of people are like, I love angels. Oh, angels. Oh, they must look like precious moments figurines. Every time someone sees an angel in the Bible, they lose like bowel control because they're terrified because of how majestic an angel is. And it's so weird what we've done with this. Guys, angels. Okay, wow. Okay. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God, and now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. So this is what God is doing to the Gentile. What's he going to do with Peter? Jump down to verse 9. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the house about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Now, the word common there, this is where we get our word profane from, and it means to cross the threshold. Like there is a threshold of what is unclean. Those things are unclean. I will not cross the threshold in my life to go near those things. Verse 15, and the voice came to him again a second time what God has made clean, do not call common. Don't call it profane. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, basically, I'll explain wh- what this means. Peter, God is showing Peter everything that it separated you from all of those people around you, your dietary laws, your the way that you dress, they're all taken away. And what is clean and unclean is all done within the person of Jesus. That's what he's being shown. Peter's going to take a bit to get this, but this is what God is showing Peter. This is more about than about food. It's about God's grace extending to all people. Verse 17. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, because he's a slow processor, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate. Uh, Simon, where Peter stayed, is a tanner. It's all kinds of cultural things. I'm not going to go into it. Verse 18. And called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. So Peter... Follows them to Cornelius' house. Getting to my point. We're getting there, okay? All right. So, so verse uh, 20, where did I go? Where am I at? Oh, okay, okay. So, uh, verse 25. When Peter entered Cornelius's, Cornelius, when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. So, as I said, uh, Cornelius has some issues. But so does Peter because Peter in Antioch has some issues there too. Verse 26. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up, I too am a man. And this is how you know the apostles are not in it for glory. They're not in it for themselves. They're pointing to Christ. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. That That's not against Roman law or anything like that. This is simply... Jewish traditional law, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So do you see what Peter forgot in Antioch? Do you see? This is what God is doing in Peter's life, this sheet and this clean and unclean Peter. I am talking about people. Verse 30, "Um, and Cornelius said, four days ago about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. Doesn't talk about his terror. Or the battle movements or stuff like that, and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms been remembered before God. Send, therefore, to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter, verse 33, so I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. God has crossed the threshold. To bring us to Himself, because we are all a people who have been common and unclean, and God has come to us. But in every nation, anyone who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him. And now Peter will speak of the gospel. Verse 39 talks about Jesus. They put Him to death by hanging Him on a tree, but God raised Him on the third day and made Him to appear not to all the people, but to us who have been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with Him after He rose from the dead. And He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that He is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes, that's the word for trust, in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Peter is preaching to the same people he is refusing to eat with at Antioch. That should just blow your mind. How easy it is to fall back into these ways by peer pressure. Peter and Acts will speak of Jesus' life, death, resurrection from the dead because that's what cleanses us. That's what gives us right standing before God. Jesus will say to the religious leaders, he will say the temple you have built and the animals you have killed and all the blood you have shed is now unnecessary because it all finds its fulfillment in Jesus. The temple for the Jews was the place where sin was atoned for. That's now in Jesus. The temple for the Jews was the place where people came And worship God. That is now in Jesus. The temple was the place where the priests interceded before God for the people. That's now in Jesus, who is our great high priest. And what happens is Cornelius' household believes they are saved, the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and Peter is astonished. He will praise God for it. Some people believe that in the book of Acts, these are the first full Gentiles to believe. So what you have to understand is that as the church went out and Christianity grew, it started with Jews. And so there's no arguments about circumcision or dietary laws or anything like that. Now when Gentiles start coming in, Peter is like, God's doing a greater work than I ever thought possible. Because it's not just about Israel. This is about the entire world. And while Peter's standing still, God is still moving. Then Peter, verse 46, declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. And so Peter stays there for some days. That probably means, again, he ate a non kosher diet. This sounds great. But what happens to Peter after this? Acts chapter 11, verse 2 says, So when Peter went to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, listen to this, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. How dare you eat bacon, Peter? You're not allowed to. The gospel is breaking through all these man-made barriers that we have set up. And what does the circumcision party do? The people who are focused on the diagnostic, what do they do? Shame shame, how dare you, look who you ate with. These are the same people who are doing this in Antioch where Peter is. This is why Paul is relating this to the people in Galatia. Do you see how ingrained into their hearts and mind this idea of a table eating together is? But Peter had already fought this fight. In Acts, Peter will say to these guys who are criticizing, Guys, the Holy Spirit fell on them. Dummies, what do you want me to do? Tell God he can't do that? I mean, that's not actually what it says. That's my paraphrase, but that's kind of what happens. And you've got to seriously ask the question, how does Peter, who fought this fight, who has already stood up in the face of all this accusation, who Peter ends up being just like Paul was saying to him, how does Peter fall back into that way of thinking? He's human. He's human. He's like every single one of us. Paul will say, Galatians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas Barnabas, arguably the nicest guy in the Bible other than Jesus, Barnabas, was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas and Peter before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Essentially, what he's saying is, Peter, you know that we're not saved by the law. You know that we can never live up to the diagnostic. And we are saved by the grace of God. Why are you now trying to force these people to live to something that we know we can't even do? See, what you see in this is we need one another. Peter needed Paul. And you'll see throughout the book of Acts that Paul doesn't always act correct and rightly. Paul had people around him to ground him back down as well. And guys, in Christianity, a lot, you will hear this term thrown out called accountability accountability. And too many people, they misunderstand accountability. They think accountability is about the diagnostic. I'm going to walk around and I'm going to show you what the diagnostic is. And if you didn't do the diagnostic, there's something wrong with you. And some people will then take that diagnostic and they will think that this is all I need to live my life. If I have the correct correct accountability in my life, I will do the right things and that's how I'm saved. No, you are not saved by the diagnostic. Accountability doesn't save you. And if we want to truly learn how to be accountable to one another, what we want to do is always steer one another back to the gospel. That's what Paul did. He didn't say, Peter, you're a horrible person. Look, He said, what's the gospel? The gospel is telling you we're not saved by the diagnostic. We are saved by the grace of God. That's what he points Peter back to. And Paul does it publicly because Peter is leading people astray publicly. Paul, you'll see, he really does care about who Peter is. He cares and and respects who Peter is in this. But a lot of times people, when they hear accountability, they think, I get to be somebody else's police officer. I get to be your Holy Spirit. No, you're not anybody's Holy Spirit. We are meant to be a people who come alongside one another and ground us going back to what the gospel looks like. Real accountability, if you want to call it that, should be the thing that steers us back to seeing the gospel. And this is why there are so many mean judgmental Christians out there, because they focus on the diagnostic, and that's all they focus on. They're zealous over this thing, not zealous over the cure. A law-based Christianity will be a life filled with hypocrisy, and accountability will become life-destroying, not life-giving. One preacher, I actually said this to a room of a thousand people, he said, I'm a firm believer that there's hypocrisy in every heart in this room, including mine. Totally true, because two years later, he got busted. But the truth is, we are all a people who have hypocrisy in our hearts And this is one of the reasons why we need one another to steer us back to the gospel. I will tell you, too often, we are a people who have a nominal faith when it comes to our pursuit of Jesus. We are not serious about the things of God. We have no real desire to know Him and worship Him the way He wants to be known because we love the diagnostic. And many of us don't love the cure. We don't love the gospel as we should. Looking at Peter and Barnabas in here, this shouldn't be something that depresses you. It should be something that makes you go, oh my goodness, that's me. And you know what? If they can falter and we know they're still loved by God, well, then so are we. So are we. And I will tell you for me, on a good day, I will remember the gospel. I will treat people well. I'll give people grace. That's not a humble brag. I'm just saying those, I have very few of those days. But on good days, it'll happen. But on most of my days, are, they're kind of like bad days. And I find myself comparing myself to other people. And I turn God's grace all inward and not outward where it's supposed to go. And this is why Peter is a great example for our lives. Because in the gospel account you see this. When Peter has his eyes focused on Jesus, he will walk on water. Can you imagine? I've tried it. It doesn't work. He walks on water. Gets his eyes off Jesus, he will sink in that same water. He has his eyes on Jesus the night before Jesus crucified. And he has his eyes on Jesus and he's like, I will, I will never betray you. I will, I will die for you. I will go wherever you go. Gets his eyes off Jesus. A couple hours later, he denies Jesus three times before a rooster crows the next morning. Jesus will rise from the grave. He will go and find Peter and reinstate Peter and say, Peter, look, I want you to be a minister. I want you to feed my sheep. And then in the middle of that conversation, gets his eyes off Jesus, looks over at a guy named John, and he goes, what about him? And Jesus is like, Peter, here, here. Peter is just like every single one of us. This is what we do. We are constantly getting our eyes onto the diagnostic rather than the grace that actually saves us. And we have to be honest enough when we do that, when we see that, not, not cover ourselves, but understand the gospel saves us even in the places where we stumble and fall. Every time Peter takes his eyes off Jesus, every time we take our eyes off Jesus, all the power and the authority and the weight that we have when our eyes are on him vanishes and we start to stumble about. And this is what happened in Antioch. Peter takes his eyes off Jesus. He takes his eyes off the gospel. And he once again begins to be concerned with the approval of man. And this is why Paul is relating this to the people in Galatia. Because this is what is happening to them. You have these false teachers coming in. They're pressuring them to do certain things. And their eyes are leaving the gospel and going on to the diagnostic that these people are trying to place upon them. This is the thing. Hebrews 12.2 says, Fix your eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him, endured this cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Our eyes are meant to be fixed upon Jesus because not only does He save us, He sanctifies us. Day by day, He is conforming us more to His image and likeness. So we understand the gospel isn't just what rescues us. The results of the gospel continues to purify us. And we should want to invite other people into our lives. People that we love and trust who can maybe help us in the places where we're drifting. We should, we should want that in a way that's not pointing to the diagnostic but pointing to what the gospel is because there's a lot of places that we drift in our marriages and raising kids or maybe you're not married and you're dating and you, know, you want people to help in that money, all the issues of our heart and souls. Here's my questions for you. Where for you is it easy for you to begin to drift, to forget what the gospel is and start to stare at the diagnostic rather than the cure that is in Christ? Where do you and I seek other people's approval more than God's acceptance of us. Getting our eyes, again, off of who Christ is. And then are there people that you could invite into your life in a way that are willing to share the truth and bring you back to what the gospel actually is? Because when you look through this, yes, Paul has this holy, righteous anger but he loves and respects Peter. He went to Jerusalem twice to meet with Peter. Later, Peter will write his books that we have in the Bible, his letters, and he will say that Paul's writings are on par with sacred scripture. That is not somebody who is holding a grudge. That is not somebody who's like, I can't believe Paul said this to me. This is a guy that's like, I thank Paul for helping me to see the gospel in that moment when I was running away from it. See, because in truth, you have to ask this question. In the end, what is going to ultimately lead peter to the most joy in his life is it living in the understanding of the gospel or is it trying to please everybody else around him see we are only free when we live and walk in what christ has done to save us i don't know about you maybe you walk through a lot of your life wearing a mask you know, you're know, you trying to get the approval of people. I call that a first date. Um, and, and some people never stop that. They, they will get married still holding you know, onto that mask in their lives. And it can be so exhausting. And I think there's so many people, all of us included, who have that hypocrisy. And we wear masks in different places in our lives. And I will tell you, we will never be a people who receive love in a place like that when we're wearing a mask. Because you know no matter how much love someone gives you, you're going to think it's not real because I'm wearing this mask. And this is why the gospel sets us free. Because the gospel reminds us that God loved and saved us exactly where we are. That God himself is the one who crossed the threshold to us. Because we have all been a people who were common and unclean. We are all a people who have run from Christ in our lives. And yet God is the one who comes and seeks us. I, I did this message on Easter and I called it a prophet of the profane because Jesus comes and he crosses that threshold to us to bring us back to himself. And when we live and we walk in that, there is a honesty and a boldness that we can begin to walk in. This great grace that God has given to us. And This is one of the reasons every week at Element we bring you to this place where we talk about communion because communion is meant to be done in remembrance of what Christ has done for every single one of us. This is why you break a cracker and it reminds us of Christ's body that was broken for us. And we dip that in the wine or the grape juice as a reminder of his blood that was shed for us because we can't save ourselves. But he comes and steps into the place where we are. And when we understand that, we get to live in such great freedom because we don't have to pretend. There are no masks that we could wear before God that would make him love us or accept us, or want us. He chooses to want us. And that's the beauty in Christianity, of what we talk about in Ideas of Adoption. That we are a people who get to be adopted by God Himself. And adoption means you're wanted. And God wanted us. And He draws us to Himself and there's such great security and joy that is found in that. Let us be a people who remember that in our lives, especially as we take communion today. Guys, if you need prayer, if you are somebody who has been wearing a mask and you're afraid to let it down because you're afraid what people will think about you, that you don't have th- this deep abiding trust in the person of Christ and you want someone to pray with you, they would love to pray with you. They're going to be in the lounge right across the way. You can go during the music. You can go after service. They'll hang out. They'll, they'll wait for you. And if, guys, seriously, if you need prayer and you have a mask that you have been hiding behind, they would love to pray with you about that. Not Not in judgment. Not pointing you to a diagnostic, but pointing you towards the great good news as found in the gospel. This is the reason where people who give the way that we do, this is why we have offering boxes around the room where you give online. We give as a response to what God has done. We don't pass a plate. It's a joyful, generous giving because we realize that our God has rescued us exactly where we are. And he brings us to himself. And day by day, he's going to conform us more to the image and likeness of his son. And I encourage you to grab some of those sermon notes, take those questions in there, ask one another, you know, maybe places where you're wearing a mask, or maybe the places where you get focused on the diagnostic instead of what the gospel is, and be honest enough to walk through that in in ways that speak about all the places that we kind of stumble around, because even Peter did it, and his is written there for people to read for thousands of years. I mean, I'd be like, oh my goodness, like Doubting Thomas, I mean, can you imagine that's your nickname for thousands of years, it's just plain in the Bible, and yet... Jesus is the one who goes to both those people and restores them, just like he comes to us to restore us. And this is why we focus on the gospel, because it's his rescue of us. It is not our keeping the diagnostic that saves us. So let's be a people who look to him to fix our eyes on him. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would remind us, really, not just day by day, but second by second, to have our eyes upon you. It is so easy to move our focus from you and onto ourselves or onto somebody else and what somebody else thinks rather than what you have spoken in truth over us. And so I ask that deep in who we are, you would begin to break down all the walls that we have built. All the things that we are so often afraid of and we could simply be who you have made us to be before you and that you have given us the great joy of being in community with other people and we should have a that you would give us a deep heart desire to want to strengthen one another in their understanding of the gospel as you use them to strengthen us. And that as we step into each other's lives, we wouldn't be those who focus on a diagnostic, but we would focus on the great good news of your rescue of us. And that in so doing, we restore this deep, profound sense of humbleness, gratitude, and joy at the same time. Because our salvation, our redemption, is found solely in you and what you've done. So break down all the things in our hearts, in our psyches that separate us from you. And then send us out to be your people in this world as we proclaim the good news of what you have done to save us. We ask this in your son's good name. Amen. And I Brian drop the blinds. And as he does, take a, just a couple moments right now and honestly before God, say, God, where am I wearing a mask? Where am I worried more about what other people are thinking about me than simply living in the truth of what you have said in my life? Ask God to reveal to you those places because we all wear masks in different places. Sometimes I, I think it's, some people want to seem very compassionate but their hearts are very hard so they wear a mask of compassion. Some people it's the exact opposite. Their hearts are very tender but they don't want other people to know how tender their heart actually is so they come across kind of gruff because they have a mask, a wall that's there. And There are places in relationships where we are so afraid to simply be us. And this is what the gospel does. Breaks down all that. You don't pretend before God. We are who we are. So, God, teach me, show me right now my masks, my walls, and then begin to tear those down and teach me to trust what the gospel truly is as spoken over me by God's great grace given to every single one of us. And then come and take communion, sing a couple songs, and let's step out into this world in great joy because our God has deemed to love us and cross the threshold to us.